Good evening. I'm already glad I came. Gary, that was awesome. Good stuff. And it uh, goes really well with what we'll be looking at tonight uh, with Psalm 92. A um, couple of quick things before we get into Psalm 92. Uh, again, um, if you're watching online, by the way, good, uh, good evening to you as well, because we are streaming on the Wednesdays, as long as it's, it's, if it's a teaching Wednesday, we are. So uh, if you're joining online, we're glad to have you with us uh, tonight as well. And uh, as Javon had mentioned, we have this Seder that was not on our calendar not too long ago, but uh, Sam has been gracious enough to kind of move things around and, and fly up on the 22nd. And, and uh, we've already had 70 spots fill up, as uh, Javon mentioned. And, and, and that's, I know that there's people that have uh, already told me they're planning on coming and have not signed up. So I believe we'll be at 100 pretty soon. And we can't only fit 112 in here. And we did look at a couple other venues outside of our place, but uh, just wasn't going to work in, in this shorter runway. So, uh, but we're glad to do it. And uh, I, I, it's one of these things that um, I think a lot of believers, I'm surprised I still run into believers that um, are really unfamiliar with this. And are like, are y'all Jewish? Or, you know, that kind of thing. And um, like, um, uh, your whole Bible's Jewish uh, to some, you know, I don't know if you realize that or not, but uh, not, in, not in the sense of, <laughs> obviously your Messiah is too, but not in the sense that, you know, we're following Judaism, uh, we're following uh, the risen Christ. And, and, but again, it's just uh, things that are just not that familiar to a lot of folks. So I'm glad we're doing it, and I believe it'll be a good, rich experience for those of you that have never been to a Seder. And some of you that have, it'll probably be good for you to uh, have one again. It's been a while since uh, we've done a large one. I, we've done one in our house last few years, and we do that just our, my wife and uh, our girls, but um, it's nice to get the whole congrega congregation together, which we'll look at tonight in Psalm 92 as well. And uh, speaking of Psalm 92, if you want to go ahead and turn there, um, uh, I really do, not because of um, Sharon or not because of any other reason. We, Like I said, we had a uh, phenomenal uh, compared to, I mean, we just continue to see the uh, the 8.30 service continue to build and um, just a great turn. I think we had 63 people at the 8.30 service this past Sunday and I, and I remember when it was like 13 people at that service. And um, But it's just kind of spread out which is nice and it helps the 10.45 service and, and there's new phases coming and uh, obviously we have really enjoyed for a long time the 1045 service. But I, I really wish more people were at this service tonight because Psalm 92 would be really helpful discipleship-wise for a lot of people in their walk. So uh, not because I'm sharing it, just because you really need to hear what the Lord is saying in Psalm 92. So turn with me to Psalm 92. It's one of these passages that I think would be incredibly helpful to so many, uh, well, to everybody, but uh, many people that uh, are unaware of some of the things that God is saying uh, to us in his word about how to go through our life. And we talked about the Psalms that are way back at the beginning, that the Psalms themselves are about living in the real world. And if you're going to live in the real world, you need God's tools to live in the real world. And so Psalm 92 gives us some powerful tools that we should uh, learn to start to uh, apply and practice in our life and uh, see God uh, produce great fruit uh, in it, uh, which dovetails with things like uh, John chapter 15, where Jesus is talking about bearing fruit, and we'll look at uh, some things related to that tonight. So uh, Psalm chapter 92, and we'll read um, all 15 verses. It's a short psalm, but a powerful one. Starting in verse 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning, and your faithfulness every night, which we just did on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute, and on the harp, and uh, Gary was playing an instrument, which would be the modern version of the lute, with harmonious sound, for you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the work of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, 
are on high forevermore. And for behold, your enemies, O Lord, behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn, you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be here tonight. Lord, we're thankful that we've already got to sing praises to your name and lift up our voices. And Lord, just kind of let the cares of this week or this day, this Wednesday, this hump day, this middle of the week, or just, Lord, just so many things that are swirling around that we need to do or need to get done. Let all those things just melt away and just worship you in spirit and in truth as we've been doing. Lord, just to open your word, which is powerful, which is eternal, which is able to transform our lives if we heed it and obey it. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, anoint this time, Lord, that you'd pour out your spirit uh, even now on every heart that is here, those that are watching online. I pray for your anointing, Lord, that uh, you would help me to teach uh, this psalm, this unique psalm, uh, this important psalm, uh, Lord, that we would apply these things and we would leave here more in love with you, uh, more thankful, more grateful, uh, Lord, more praise on our lips and more joy in our hearts. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes this evening, you see the title up on the screen, Perpetual Praise. And Powerful, powerful promises. In this uh, Psalm 92, we speak of this perpetual because of the fact that the Lord intends, we know perpetual means continual or nonstop or ongoing. The Lord intends that praises and insights and reminders in this Psalm would spur a habit in us of committing to praising God in our lives. So the reminders of these things or uh, the repetitive nature of God wanting us to know that these things are very important, uh, that we would commit to praising God, that it would be part of our life continually, at least uh, not just here, but obviously this will continue in eternity. And the promises, they'll be a continual source of hope and a source of faith. Now we know that uh, whenever the Bible uses the word hope, it, it doesn't mean uh, the way that we think, like, man, I hope that doesn't happen, or I hope uh, that this goes right, or I hope uh, that when we get home, what's in the oven isn't completely burnt. I mean, it's not that kind of hope. It's hope that has a joyful expectation. It's it's a hope that you can bank on. And so that kind of hope actually increases faith, and that kind of faith increases hope. So they, they work together. We, we have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of meeting Christ in the air. We have the hope of eternity with the Lord. These aren't things like, man, I hope that happens. It will happen. It will absolutely happen. So we have that hope. But, but the Lord wants these promises to be a source of hope, to be a source of faith. Um, Psalm 92 is one of my personal top five favorite psalms. And I have a number of psalms that I like. And, and uh, I think some may move in and out of the top five, but this one always stays in that. Uh, psalm 23 is, is, is there forever with me as well, and probably many with you as well, because it's such a small psalm, but um, you can live your entire Christian life by following it. Uh, and then, of course, it will branch into everything else uh, throughout the Scriptures. But, but it's a psalm. Psalm 92 is one that I have gone back to many, many times over the years to read and to reread and to be encouraged and exhorted in my spirit. Um, I was thinking of just as we were singing and, and Gary had chosen the song, Then Sings My Soul. Uh, only if you're a believer when you sing does your soul sing. You can sing with your lips, but when you come to Christ you start to sing with your soul. Uh, so uh, the world doesn't know what it's like 
to sing from the soul. That, that comes when your soul has been transformed. You've been brought from darkness into light. Uh, but because of that, that you can read these words and be refreshed in your spirit. They're not just something you read in one ear and out the other. But we've been moving in a numerical progression throughout the Psalms. Uh, we haven't covered them all, as you guys know. But, uh, but we've had to wait to get a little while to get to Psalm 92. And I don't even know when we're going to finish. The Lord will kind of make it clear to me. We've got we a few more to do. But, but this is another unique um, psalm among the psalms. And there are a number of unique psalms for, for various reasons. Uh, Pastor Trevor uh, last month shared from Psalm chapter 90. That's a unique psalm because Moses wrote it. And, and uh, that's very unique in the book of Psalms. But this psalm is the only psalm, and remember psalm means song, so song, song 92 if you want to say that. They weren't really numbered then, but, but it's referred to as a song for the Sabbath, a song for the Sabbath. It's believed that this psalm or the song was sung or meditated on the weekly Sabbath that those of ancient Israel would take this psalm and it's believed that they would sing or meditate. Now, not to the exclusion of other ones, there was other ones for sure, but it's believed that this one was quite uh, central to uh, Sabbath worship. But it's pretty fascinating that this psalm would be addressed as the song of the Sabbath. And you, most of your Bibles probably have that as a title. If you look up above verse 1, it probably says a song for the Sabbath day. No other psalm says that. This is the only one out of all the psalms, it's the only one, out of 150 chapters, it's the only one that says a song for the Sabbath. This one. Charles Spurgeon noted, the Jews have for a long while used this psalm in the synagogue worship on their Sabbath and very suitable for its Sabbath day, not so much in appearance, for there is little to no allusion to any Sabbatic rest in it. And he's right, it doesn't really talk about resting anywhere here or not working or things like that. Uh, but because on that day above all others our thoughts should be lifted up from earthly things to God himself. And it is very interesting that, that when you think of Sabbath anywhere in the Bible you think of not working. But that's not mentioned here at all. It never says anything about not working and don't do anything and don't lift anything and don't carry anything. It doesn't say anything about that. And of course we understand that that was part of it. But as he says, it's causing us to lift our eyes upward. You see, part of the rest for our souls is to worship. It's to sing. It's to reflect. It is to praise. It was never meant to be the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week. It was never meant to be only a day of not working. But it was also to be a day of focused worship. Derek Kinder said this, he said, this song for the Sabbath is proof enough, if such were needed, that the Old Testament Sabbath was a day not only for rest, which we understand, but for corporate worship, a holy convocation, Leviticus 23.3, and intended to be a delight rather than a burden. And that's the way a lot of people think about having to go and worship the Lord like, ah. I gotta give up a perfectly good day to go sit in a pew or sit in a chair and hear some guy teach and and sing songs when I could read the newspaper from cover to cover. I don't know if people didn't do that anymore. Read my iPad or whatever else, or or uh, you know, just be sitting in the backyard and just doing something or fishing or wherever I'm at, or on the tea box, or on the beach, way at the lake, all the different things that people say. I don't want to give any of that up to have to be doing church worship. But it's not to be a burden. It's to be a delight. Um, even with, We're not on the Sabbath day. I know Sabbath day is Saturday and I understand that um, you know, today is a Wednesday and we're here worshiping tonight. And I was thinking as we were singing, because I've been reflecting a lot on this passage and you know, anything that I'm studying I will reflect on it at least the whole week, if not well before that. Uh, but, you know, as we were singing, I was, it, I was just enjoying the worship so much. I was like, man, I, there are times when I love to just kind of collapse on the couch 
But there's something about worshiping God that just you don't get by collapsing on the couch. You just don't. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't refresh your soul in the same way. that, And we, we see this with prayer meetings as well. But, but since Jesus rose on the first day of the week, many believers now rest and worship on the first day of the week. But the Sabbath principle and the Sabbath command remains. Someday, heaven will be our eternal Sabbath. Some have even proposed, you know, that, that you know, we have 6,000 years of history, and if there's a seventh, uh, right at the end, near the end of that, uh, we'll kind of come near that uh, in this, maybe the next 40, 50 years or less, uh, at this kind of the 6,000 years of earthly history, and then you have the 7,000-year millennial reign, and then into eternity, and, and uh, that all of that would kind of position itself into that eternal Sabbath rest, but we have an eternal Sabbath rest that awaits us. But, but right now today, and Hebrews, the book of Hebrews talks about this, our Sabbath rest now is Christ. He is our Sabbath rest. But this command uh, to set aside a day and, and to gather and to worship together and to focus on the things of the Lord together, that remains from the time the Lord put the Sabbath in place all the way into the New Testament church, which many begin to kind of follow that same principle on the first day of the week. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, "...not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching." Uh, I'm sure you're aware by now uh, that in America church attendance is declining. It's not declining here at Calvary Chapel Richmond. We're thankful that we continue to have, and it's just by the grace of God, slow, steady growth. Not hyper growth, just slow, steady. We're like watching a plant here. <laughs> yeah, it, you would never know until you come back two years later and say, wow, I, it's like that was that high, and now it's, you know, that. We are literally are like watching a plant or a clock. It's just slow and sit. Now, if God pours out a revival, all bets are off. I mean, you could have, instead of hippies, whatever the young people are today, strolling in here, getting saved. That would be awesome, and we pray for that. Uh, but as a, as a whole, a thousand churches, uh, I want to say a thousand churches a month are closing in America. Maybe 750 a month are starting, so it's still a net loss of maybe 250 or so. Uh, but and it's hard to know exactly, but we know a lot of these things are true, and we know that attendance is dropping across the country. We know atheism and agnosticism is rising. So uh, as a country, as a nation, less and less people are even interested, although I do think there's more, more people out there that are thirsty than we believe, because half the country, about half the country, I talked about this with the guys on the Revelation night, night about half of Americans believe that the end of the world is near. So <laughs> yeah, they, they have a lot of mixed theology. But those of us who don't have a mixed theology, we have a true theology, we should, have, we should obey this and gather together and not say, well, I'll just kind of, you know, I'll kind of get it in gear if I really think the rapture is going to be within the next two years. Then I'll, I'll kind of start to gather a lot. But as we get closer to our eternal rest with the Father and to worship Him and with all the family of God, because that's what we're going to do for all eternity among many other things that God will show us that we're not aware of yet, we should desire more, not less, to worship the Lord individually and together collectively. We, we should desire that, that the Lord should be fostering that desire. We should be sitting under the spigot of the Spirit to actually have Him foster that desire. But with that in mind, this psalm is to be lived out daily. Obviously it's, it is the song for the Sabbath and that is the, the holy convocation of the, the saints, uh, the Old Testament and New Testament saints coming together. But uh, it is to be lived out personally in our walk with the Lord, but also in unison and in mutual encouragement with one another. You know, God put us into a family put us into the body of Christ, all the individual parts put together. So back to verse 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. This obviously, when you think about this verse, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. This obviously isn't just for the Sabbath day. It isn't just for 
corporate worship. But it's to be the daily intent and practice of our lives. Say, Lord, I'm getting up again today, again tomorrow, the next day. Lord, I'm getting up and I want my heart to be giving thanks and my lips to giving praise to your name. It's to be the daily intent and practice of our lives. We're to give thanks and praise God daily and continually whether we feel like it or not. Whether we feel any umption or not. Whether we're feeling like it's going to be an awesome day or not an awesome day. There is a magnification though because it's the song of the Sabbath. There is a magnification when we come and praise and worship together. We have some worship nights, but no matter what, we have worship here as best we possibly can. Unless all the guys on the worship team are sick, then we do video worship. <laughs> and we'll do something. Because we want to lift up our voices, we know how important it is uh, in the Scripture. But um, gathering to worship and song is something we simply can't produce all by ourselves. Would you guys agree with that? There's something about, uh, you know, Tawan has talked uh, for years about that you guys are the choir. All of us are the choir. We don't have a choir. We don't even have room for a choir up here. We have hardly room for a pulpit. But we have, uh, we have a few people up here and then the choir is out there. But we're all, it's something you can't produce when you're all alone. And yet, there is something, even though the corporate worship produces something that's magnified that can only happen when multiple saints gather together, just like when there's times where you're supposed to pray alone, but there's times where you're supposed to come to prayer meetings and not be alone. Yet there's something in our thanking and praising God in our alone time, because again, this is not just for the Sabbath and it's not just for the corporate gathering, it's for both. But there's something in our thanking and praising God in our alone time with the Lord that's essential to our growing closer and conform to Christ. So we, we have to become individual worshipers, but also choir gathering worshipers. Earlier today, um, I, was, I went for a run, and it was you know, beautiful blue skies. All day it was like hardly any clouds. A little bit, I think, moved in later in the day. Out for a run, and I put worship in, and a lot of times I'm listening to Calvary Chapel Philadelphia's worship because I love, uh, they have like a 25-minute track of it. We'll get there someday here, I promise you. We will. We will get there. Uh, remember, we're like a plant. You know, we grow incredibly slow. So, um, but, uh, but aside from that, you know, I listen to, and, and other worship too, sometimes I'm listening to Calvary Fort Lauderdale, sometimes I'm listening to just, uh, you know, just tracks of worship that, you know, maybe a playlist or something, but I was I was kind of running and, and I had and I was listening to worship and worshiping while I was meditating on this psalm and just kind of thinking and kind of the conversion of just kind of worshiping the Lord and because the Holy Spirit can allow you to kind of do all those things that speaking through the worship but also reminded me of the verse and this thought popped in my head and I know it was the Holy Spirit and just said you know because I was thinking about individual worship and gathering with a body to worship and how God commands both and blesses both, and both are inherent to the believer's walk, that you would have individual and collective. And I felt like the Spirit just dropped it. It wasn't in my notes, but it just said, you'll worship in the solitude and with the multitude. In the solitude and with the multitude. It, it didn't come while I was sitting in front of my laptop. It didn't come when I was you know, just praying. It just came while I was literally listening to worship and running, just looking up in the clouds and thinking of the Lord and so I'm reminding myself to thank Him for all these different things. And the Lord's like, in the solitude and in the multitude. Because solitude, Jesus would go alone by Himself to pray, but He also would gather the disciples to pray. So you would have solitude and multitude. And multitude be, mean varying sizes. But, but if we only sang and praised God on Sundays, think about... Again, a song of the Sabbath, well, all right, then I'll do this every Sunday. Or uh, Sam's church, they meet every single Saturday at, at House of Israel in, in Charlotte. But if said, I'm just going to gather once a week and uh, worship God once a week, then we would be spiritually malnourished. It would be like saying, I'm going to read my Bible once a week. I'm going to pray once a week. Why don't you try and eat once a week? Right? Drink water once a week. See how that goes. Don't do that, because we, we like having you here. But uh, 
But gathering to worship is like, when you gather, it's like a two-for-one deal. You then get the multiplication of you already love to worship, and then you get to worship with others. So it's like a two-for-one special. Uh, but it's not a replacement for personal worship. It both are complementary to one another. It's not a replacement to it. Now, as verse 1 says, it is good. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name. Uh, the word good here in the Hebrew, it means pleasant, valuable, appropriate. Would you guys agree with that? <laughs> that God, it is pleasant to worship God. It is valuable to worship God. It is appropriate to worship God. It means all of those. In, in other words as well, but, but uh, that gives you an idea. William MacDonald said, no one can deny the fact that it is downright good to give thanks to the Lord. It is good in the sense that the Lord deserves such gratitude, and it is also good for the one who offers the thanks and those who hear it. Everyone, it's good for everybody. It's good for every part of our soul. It's good for every part of the church body. But it is so good for our souls to thank and praise God. Our souls, uh, our souls are not ministered to by an awesome slice of cheesecake. In case you're hungry right now, now you really are. But uh, uh, you know, I, I eat dinner afterwards, so um, I'm right there with you. But you know, our souls aren't really ministered to by those things. They're, that's just our flesh. But to thank and praise God ministers to the soul. It's something food can't do. It's why the Bible even talks about fasting, things that you, you actually draw nearer to God and thanking Him and praising Him. It's good. We're the beneficiaries of that worship. God doesn't really, he, as He sa says in the Scriptures, uh, He doesn't really need, uh, or Paul writes, the Lord doesn't really need us. We're the ones that benefit from worship. God is self-sustaining. There's nothing He needs from us. God is worthy at all times and will bless our obedience to give thanks to a name. He's going to bless that we, we, we will choose to thank Him. Notice it doesn't say, it is good to give thanks to the Lord unless you don't feel like giving thanks. Unless you don't feel like singing. That disclaimer is not in there. Or if it's not, it's, uh, it's not in there, it is good to sing praises to your name, unless you're a person that doesn't like singing. I've met people like this. I don't, I've, I've literally had people tell me, not a lot, but a few times, other times, I've observed that they don't like singing. I haven't talked to them, and they haven't talked to me. I don't know what their answer would be, but I've had literally people tell me, I don't like to sing. So have you pondered heaven? <laughs> Go read the book of Revelation. There'll be a lot of singing there. This is your practice period on earth. This is where you, it doesn't, God never asked, do you like singing? He never asked, do you like praying? Do you like reading the word? He's saying, do these things. We're going to talk more about this Sunday when, when Jesus, I'm getting a little, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. It's really powerful what we'll look at on Sunday. It'll actually, it'll actually transform your thinking about certain things that are probably roadblocks in your walk or roadblocks in your life. Uh, and the more I've been meditating on it, I, I kind of feel certain roadblocks melting because there is a power in saying, if God says it and I do it, he'll honor it. So it doesn't say only for people that like to sing. It's only for worship leaders, only for this, only for that. Verse 2, uh, to declare your loving kindness in the morning. I have written in my Bible, I have a uh, circle here. First thing is written in my Bible. I have it highlighted First thing. I don't always do it first thing. Sometimes I'm like, ah, got the seventh thing here. I mean, I'm always some hot time in the morning, but sometimes I accidentally see a text that I feel I have to get to quickly or something like that, and that it's a rabbit trail. But in uh, your faithfulness every night, we're to declare. The Bible says that here we're to declare his loving kindness uh, back to the Lord. Uh, in the presence of other people if it's corporate, and even to declare it to people if it was more of a witnessing opportunity or something, to, you're, you're declaring the loving kindness of God. But this is mostly speaking uh, in the worship context of saying back to the Lord, Lord, we thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We're, uh, we're to honor the Lord by declaring back to him his merciful attributes. And to do so, uh, believe it or not, I hope you believe it, 
it will break chains in our lives if it becomes a practice. Uh, anything that becomes a practice starts to take on a whole different uh, impact in our life. If, if you said, um, you know, if, if your doctor says, hey, do this and I want you to report back to me in a year, make this a part of your life and report back to me in a year, I promise you, he gives you three things and you, and you come back and he, and he says, did you do them? I said, yeah, I did them on July 17th. Middle, I picked the middle of the year, did all three of them, no change. He's like, I wanted you to do that like every day for a year. You chose one day, yeah, there's not going to be any change, but uh, if you start to declare his loving kindness, declaring back to him continually, this becomes perpetual, uh, it'll break many chains in our lives. Even chains that you're not even thinking are related to it. Uh, I sometimes will say that uh, in the economy of God, uh, unrelated things are actually related. We think they're unrelated, but they're actually very related. Right? I'll hear people say, this is the problem in my life. And they don't realize that the problem, they think it's over here, the problem's actually over here. And if they don't address this, this will never get touched. So thinking and say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey you. I'm going to begin to just uh, declare your loving kindness back to you. Many, many a Christian remains mired in a deep mental emotional rut and are fatigued because they're whining rather than worshiping. This was a massive problem for the nation of Israel. They wandered for 40 years. They all died in the wilderness, those that, 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 and, that, and it also impacted the fact that because they whined so much, they also didn't have the faith and that they could even go where God was sending them. And they became whiners instead of worshipers. But C.H. Spurgeon said this, he said, We whine as if our lives were martyrdoms, and every breath a woe. But it is not such, but it is not so. Such conduct slanders the good Lord. And, and we're all guilty of this at times. Um, we're all guilty of this at times, although I remember my good friend Thomas Powell, he told me, he told me when he was uh, still pastoring in Southern California, he goes, there was one person. And they lived their woes on their sleeves so much. If I came around a corner, I saw them on the other side. I, he goes, I turned and ran the other direction. Because it would just drag me down to hear their entire litany uh, instead of ever turning it back to the Lord. And I have, you know, all of us were, I have empathy for people that are really going through things. I'm not talking about that. And even people that have mental health things. and people that have, I'm not saying that we don't have empathy for that. I'm simply saying that unless we employ the things that God says to do, we'll beat our head against the wall for years. And God's like, I'm not changing Psalm 92. I'm just representing it to you. That's what he'll say. It'll work. God is faithful. Uh, this verse is such a great reminder to all of us to start or to restart, if you haven't been doing it lately, but to start or restart telling the Lord in the morning and if you can get like Daniel, you do it morning, noon, and evening. And you can find time in the middle of the day to, to reiterate. And then at the end of the day, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your greatness. Just start with simple things like that and, and make it ha a habit of your life. God will honor it. I, I guarantee if we all did this for a year, we would actually come back with miracles a year from now. No doubt in my mind. How thankful we are for his love and his faithfulness. Remember Jesus kept saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He's wanting us to say back, Lord, we love you. And even though we phileo you, Lord, we want to agape you. And you're declaring back to him, Lord, you're, you're faithful, but I'm not. You're great, I am not. You're strong, I am weak. All the, he's, he loves to hear that from us. We're weak sheep. Verse 3, uh, on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute, on the harp, with harmonious sound. Uh, I am so grateful for our worship leaders, you know, Tawan, who's taking this uh, time away to, to, I think he's ministering to his parents even tonight, but um, uh, taking this time and, and just for Gary and Jackson and just the other, all, the, all those that serve, uh, but all worship leaders, not just here, in other churches and around the world, people that are really spirit-filled and love to lead God's people in worship and, and choirs and singers and praise bands and people that play instruments for the Lord. I, I'm thankful for all of it. I have a wide panorama 
of worship that I listen to from a lot of different uh, sectors in the body of Christ. And I like a lot of it, and it's all, all, all been a blessing. Uh, even the Old Testament, you know that they set aside, some of the priests were singers, and they had the choirs that were set up for the rededication of the temple and the rededication of the wall. And, it, and God made sure that the, they put the singers in their places to honor the Lord with song. So it's something that matters. And in heaven, as I mentioned, we're going to sing with throngs. Every tongue, tribe, nation is going to sing. So I'm thankful for people who lead us in it right now. I'm even thankful for modern day earbuds that I can be listening to that kind of stuff while I'm uh, out for a run. Sometimes I won't listen to music. Sometimes I just want to listen to the birds chirping. And they have their own songs, by the way, which is pretty amazing. Uh, and sometimes I'll go that route. But um, God ordained all of these means of musical harmony, both instruments and people, gifted leaders as well as gifted voices, for all of us to sing to the Lord, to learn to sing to the Lord, to teach kids to sing to the Lord. That's why we have music over in the children's ministry, to teach them to sing to the Lord, because there's music from heaven, there's music from hell, isn't there? I know nobody preaches on that anymore, but there really is. There's music that comes straight out of heaven, and it's not scripture in the sense that it is new parts of the Bible, but it's built on Scripture, so it's coming down from heaven. Matter of fact, I think some of the great hymns and many great songs we'll sing in heaven, and I've said this before, and songs we've never heard in the Korean language, in the Tanzanian language, and all over the world, the Mongolian language, all these different things we've never heard, those songs will be, the ones that that were led of the Lord, spirit-filled, biblically accurate, and then a lot of our Christian stuff will get thrown out if it was uh, not doctrinally sound or anything like that, but a lot of it will remain as well uh, when we get to heaven. But I'm thankful for, uh, and I hope you guys are too. And it, but notice that he says instruments. It, it, God loves when his people put together something to do excellence for the Lord. Remember this was the song for the Sabbath. There's, there's, a, there's a connotation here that the Lord is well pleased when there's an effort to have, and harmonious because you need people that know harmony to have harmony. So you have to have uh, the people that have those skills and God's given gifts and talents in that. Verse 4 and 5, moving through. Uh, For Lord, you have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the work of your hands. O oh Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. I actually put that passage up on the screen. In verse 4 and, and, and into verse 5 here, uh, the, the, the thought here where he says, for you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. The thought here is that the more we focus on the Lord and less on ourselves, I don't know if a society in world history has been more self-focused than the American culture right now today. Everybody's into self-care, self-realization, self-actualization, self-everything. But the scriptures say the more we focus on the Lord and not ourselves, and the more we trust in his work in us and his work in the world. I'm trusting that God is doing a great work all over the world, which he is. But we're trusting in his work in us. And we'll see this on Sunday in our closing study in the book of John. We won't always understand how the Lord is working or why he's working in a certain way but we will grow in the faith to believe that all his ways are perfect, that we'll believe that all things work together for good to them that are loved and called according to his purpose. We'll, we'll believe that increasingly so as we praise him and focus our... Remember that the goal of the Sabbath was to get our eyes upward. The reason why you stopped working for a day so you didn't think about 8 million things that still have to be done at work. So you would focus on the Lord. Those things are temporal. They're not really going to matter. You could drop dead of a heart attack and it won't matter that you didn't finish uh, number 6 through 12 on your list. I, I have my list too. And sometimes my list stresses me out just like sometimes your list stresses you out. But the Lord wants us to lift up our eyes and look to Him and not to focus on ourselves, not to focus on all the things that are at the temporal level. And the more we believe and the more we focus on His works, and we, he says, how great are your works? 
Your thoughts are very deep. Just focusing on the magnitude of God, the greatness of God. I can't remember which saint I read about it, but he said that at least three times a day he would go out, leave his study, and it was in the 1700s or so, and he would go out and just stare up into the sky and remember that God was controlling the universe. And it would recenter him back to his studies and his prayers and everything else, and I can't remember which saint said it, but uh, I don't do it three times a day, but I still, it, it's, I do it often. I'll look up and i remember, oh yeah, he's got the moon there, he's got the sun there. He's got everything under control, right? His thoughts are very deep, his ways are very deep. And the more we believe that, we become joyful and glad because he says, uh, for, your, for you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. You've made me glad. Not you've made me glad by letting me do anything I want to do. You made me glad by giving me more money, a better paying job, and a nicer car. He said, through your work, the work of your spirit in my life, the work of getting me to focus on you and not myself, the work of serving others and washing feet, all the things that encompass the work of God in us, we become more joyful and glad. And, and the reason is we start to rest in him rather than resist him or ignore him. And we're not focusing on our work, we're fo focusing on his work. Focusing primarily on ourselves is a recipe, hear this one clearly, hope, focusing primarily on ourselves is a recipe for discontent depression, and frustration. The, the less I focus on me and Lord, Lord, how can I please you and serve others? Joy is Jesus, others you last, right? Focusing mostly on yourself is a recipe for discontent, depression, frustration, but a focus on God is a recipe for gladness. You have made me glad as I focused on him. Verse 6 and 7. A senseless man does not know nor does a fool understand this. The senseless, they, they don't even understand verse 4 and 5. Or verses 1 through 5. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this, nor do they even want to understand it. When the wicked springs up like grass, and when the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. They look like they've got the world by the tail, but not for long. Amen? Sadly, those that choose self and sin over salvation and a Savior have little to no interest in the works of God. They have little to no interest in the greatness of God. Little to no interest in the truth of God, and hence they can't see any reason to come to God for salvation. They're not interested. God is not at the least bit interesting to many, many, many people. And thereby they have no desire to worship or praise God because they just, they're not impressed. They're not interested. They're not impressed. There's nothing about God that, that they find all that important. The world, however, interesting, the world's very impressed by the things in the world, though. Have you noticed that? The world's extremely impressed. Oh, they won seven Oscars. How amazing. Oh, they, they, they are, they're a billionaire. How amazing. Oh, they're the richest man in the world. How amazing. They invented this, that, and the other. They're smarter than everybody else. They founded Facebook. They founded Apple. They founded Microsoft. They founded General Motors. I mean, they, they, these are the most amazing people on planet Earth. The world is amazed by entertainment. It's amazed by technology. It's amazed by restaurants, cities, business, wealth, celebrities, sports, universities, education, you name it, IQs. People are amazed by all of this stuff, like, wow, I'll buy every magazine just to, just to read more about. The list goes on and on and on. And, and everyone, almost everyone, will marvel at beautiful mountains and oceans and islands and sunsets and star-filled skies and buy a $5,000 telescope to look at it and hardly give a thought that God created all this stuff that they're amazed by. And they are amazing things. I, I'm amazed at those things, aren't you? I, I'm, I'm way more amazed by God's sunsets than I am by billionaires or celebrities or somebody's success. I, I'm not jealous of their success or money. I, I'm just saying, but they're just a person like the rest of us. If they, you cut them, they bleed. 
the, their life's just the same vapor as ours. They just have, they have more, they have to, rich young ruler. It's not actually great when you get all that money because it's hard to let go of the bags. I had a former pastor called them the golden handcuffs. Satan would love to put everybody in them. Give you whatever you want as long as you drift your way right into eternity. Which sadly this passage is talking about. The senseless man. It's one of the most senseless things you can do is ignore Christ. One of the most foolish things you can do is ignore the gospel. Never pick up a Bible. Never care. I don't have time for it. I've got bigger fish to fry. And maybe, maybe, just maybe if I'm on my deathbed and I have time I'll consider it. No one has that guarantee. Amen? Nobody has that. We teach in, nation, in this country that furthermore, uh, further uh, complicating the problem is now we have taught in this country for I don't know how many years now, I don't know how far it goes back, uh, the Clarence Darrow case or whatever. We've been teaching for a long time that God didn't make anything. He didn't make you, so why not do a drive-by shooting? You're, just, you're, you're no different than a deer running through the woods, right? You just have a little, little higher form of evolution, Right? So if we've taught an entire generation, several generations now, that God didn't make you, didn't make anything, didn't make the moon you're looking at, that just kind of, there was a bang and all, all of a sudden all the complexities of just your eyeball alone just happened. But Psalm 51, 53.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. Have you noticed that ever since we decided there is no God, that sin has proliferated and now all of a sudden, here we are 50, 60, 70 years later, we're importing pornography all over the world, uh, human slavery's back, trafficking, drugs, 200,000 people died of fentanyl in the last few years. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And it all, a lot of it stems to, we said, get rid of the Bible in the school, uh, there is no God, all these kind of things, none of this stuff matters. And so when people become convinced that there is no God, then they live... Worship. You gotta, everyone was created to worship, so you've got to worship something. And what do people worship in America? Themselves. And if it matters to me, if I take your life, you know, if it, two gangbangers on the street, or if it's, you know, hey, someone's super rich, I need ten houses to make myself happy. It doesn't matter if it helps anybody else. You ever notice that? You're like, why do you need another house? Remember the show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? <laughs> you remember that show? And you, you get to tour of the house and everything, you're like, and this is, not, this is my fifth mansion, but we're building one on the St. Virgin Islands. There's people dying and starving. You don't care about that? But, but God changes the heart when we come to him, senseless, foolish. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All, but all forms of sin and selfishness, they grow when there's no belief in God, there's no interest in God, there's no acknowledgement of God. Uh, but he says, God says, look, they'll, they'll flourish in the world sense, not not, in, but the world will say, "Wow, they, they went from nothing to amazing. They kind of own it all. They they're worth a ton on Wall Street. They flourish, but all that they may be destroyed forever. Um, that's not our desire. God's saying that's that's going to be. Jesus said, "Narrow is the way to eternal life. Few there be find it. Broad is the road to destruction. Many there be that go that way." He was just stating the facts. It's not it's not the heart of God. He's not willing that any should perish. But the reality is, um, if you don't acknowledge God, there's no impetus to thank or praise God because God is irrelevant to a person that doesn't believe he exists, irrelevant to believe he has any authority in their life. And so that kind of darkness of unbelief or that kind of ambivalence is both senseless and foolish. Amen? It's senseless and it's foolish. It makes no sense to die and go to hell when God offers an eternity with him. It makes no sense. It's truly senseless when eternity awaits. It says destroyed forever, just like we have eternal with the Lord, you can also have eternal without him. But um, No matter what, verse 8, look at verse 8, moving to verse 8, but you, O Lord, are on high forever. No matter what people do or don't do, no matter what happens on this Earth, God is high above the earth. He's high above the cosmos. He's sitting above all the universe. He's stretched out like a scroll, both now and forever. God is on his throne. This is glorious news if you know the Lord, and it's a serious warning if you do not know the Lord. 
Who is his enemy? Uh, he goes on to say, and um, verse 9, for behold, Lord, moving to verse 9, for behold, Lord, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish, and the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. Um, who is the Lord's enemy? Well, it's anyone that ignores or rejects him and the truth of his word. Although, we can't forget that Jesus came to rescue the perishing. Uh, yes, the workers of iniquity, they shall, his enemies, verse 9, shall perish. The work of iniquity shall be scattered, uh, destroyed forever back in verse 7. Jesus came to rescue the perishing, but you're either with God or you're against him. There's not a middle. Well, I'm not, I'm not really against him and I'm not for him. Just, I'm just kind of, I found a happy medium that I'm neither for nor against. And Jesus made it clear, either for me or against me. There's not a, there's not a third option. Uh, we're either opposed to God or we've been transformed by God and now we belong to him and we have a spirit-given love for him. Verse 10 but my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. This isn't the way we write, is it, right? <laughs> my horn you've exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. The horn in the Old Testament, uh, under the Old Covenant, uh, was a symbol of strength. And uh, there would also, they would put the anointing oil in a horn when they would anoint. It would have been an oil, it was in a horn flask. But the horn was a symbol of strength, and the picture here is that those that trust the Lord will be strengthened by the Lord. Trust the Lord, strengthened by the Lord. Trust yourself, not strengthened by the Lord. You're going to have to find strength some other way, which is a failing strength. But if you trust in the Lord, you'll be strengthened by the Lord. And notice who does the exalting or lifting up. He says, Lord, you, my horn, you have exalted. We're never to exalt ourselves or even try to exalt ourselves. The Lord is the one that exalts. The Lord is the one that lifts up. We can't even lift uh, ourselves up in any way. A wild ox, as you probably know, is a powerful animal. Uh, if you've ever seen you know, some of the massive bulls and just powerful animal. Uh, amazing, it eats nothing but grass. It doesn't drink protein shakes and doesn't you know, try and get, get bigger and stronger. It eats grass and just has strength that can just blow you away. You drag cars, you can t you know, put yokes on them and powerful animals and they just eat grass and sometimes very meager things that they can find if, it, if, it's, if it's drought season and yet they still have powerful bodies and um, but God makes that animal so strong. God is the one that made the ox strong. God is the one that makes the eagle be able to see at high elevations. God is the one that makes uh, tigers and lions see really incredibly well at night. He's the one that does all these things. Uh, again, the people who believe in evolution think all that just kind of happened. Uh, but he's the one that can make the ox strong, and he's the one that can make us strong. Amen? In our weakness, he can make us strong. When we're only finding grass to eat, God says, I'll turn that grass into the bread of life. The fresh oil involves several aspects of the Lord's help and consecration. We need, we need both. We need his help and we need his consecration. The anointing oil was, in the Old Testament, set apart to pour out upon the priest, the prophet, or the king. Priest, prophet, or king that was chosen by God to represent God. So they would, point, you know, would pour, pour out the oil on the one chosen to represent him. It was also, as you probably know, in ancient times, uh, used medicinally for wounds. It was uh, used to refresh and uh, chap skin, fingers, you know, just you know, all kinds of uh, dryness and chapping. Uh, it was a picture of the Spirit of God coming upon an individual. So the oil running down was a picture of God coming upon. It was also a picture of God's blessing coming down. So all of these were manifestations of the oil, and we know that the oil lighted the lamps, and so we, God wants oil in our lamps. And we see in the New Testament that the, the virgins need to have oil in the lamps. All of these things are positive, spiritually uh, things that... Uh, God desires to do in us. And this fresh oil, he says, you've anointed me with fresh oil, uh, indicates a new or refreshing work in all these aspects. Don't you want a refreshing from God? 
Yeah, it, it starts back in verse 1 to, to praise him and all these things. They work together. Verse 11, we're coming down the home stretch here. My eyes also have seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. This is a good, uh, a good verse that bridges verse um, uh, here in verse 11. Uh, one that bridges verse 11 about my eyes have seen my enemies, but also back to verse 10 where he says, I've been anointed with fresh oil, and he kind of transitioned to God has poured his oil upon me. That's a refreshing thing. That is a blessing. But then he talks about my eyes have seen my enemies. A good transition from verse 10 to 11 is found in the 23rd Psalm, and you're probably very familiar with this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. So in the middle of all the rough and tumble things that come against us, God refreshes us, and we don't have to worry about our enemies, which we tend to do, uh, but our, our cup can run over. Now, we generally don't have enemies like David did. We don't have Philistines or Ammonites or all the, you know, Edomites or all these things like that. Uh, but the Lord will allow us to see victory in spite of the attacks of the enemy and will ultimately defeat all the enemies that come against the believer. And our enemies aren't really people, are they? Scripture is clear about that. We're, we're praying that all, we're praying for revival. We're praying for people that hate Christians. We're praying for people that hate the Bible. We're praying for people who, if they could close this church down, would close it down in a New York minute. But we're praying for them that they would repent and come to Christ because people were praying for us, and that's what Jesus wanted us to do. Jesus would have saved Pilate on the spot. He would have saved Herod on the spot. He would have saved Judas on the spot, wouldn't he? He wasn't willing that they should perish. They chose that route. But, but we do have, even though we don't have Philistines and our enemies are not flesh and blood, we do have a satanic adversary in the spiritual realm. And Ephesians 6.12 makes this clear. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I pray for you because you have spiritual enemies, and I hope you're praying for me because I have spiritual enemies. I have people that would love to knock me out of the ministry and out of the pulpit for the rest of my life, and you have people that would love to knock you out of whatever you're doing. And it's not so much human beings. Satan will come up with plans of attack. You know the story of Job. We talked about it recently. That was a full-on assault by Satan against Job. And it tells us that God allows these things. But he says, yeah, I can still set up a table for you in the presence of all. Isn't that good to know? And all of this exhortation, continually praising God and thanking God and to gather together and declare God's goodness in word and in song and to understand the foolishness and judgment that's coming on this world's darkness and upon this world's rejection of God and, and for us to fully trust in God's provision and His strength and the fresh oil of His Holy Spirit and His grace. All of these precepts and all of these uh, precepts teaching us to praise and prioritize our lives around the worship of God lead to these closing and powerful promises to those that make the Lord their rest and their refuge and their rock. Let's read verses 12 through 15 and we'll bring this to a close. The righteous, this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. I have it outlined, underlined. We've got a plaque, we've got a painting my daughter's put in our house that has these passages. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. I love palm trees, by the way. Some of y'all probably do too, but we love palm trees. Uh, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish shall flourish and still bear uh, those, who, uh, those who planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God they shall, they shall still bear fruit in old age they shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright he is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him the righteous who is that? It says the righteous. The righteous is those who have been justified by faith and now are in right standing with the Lord. Right standing. Covered by the blood. Atonement. Right standing. And they're now, because they're in right standing, because they have been given the Holy Spirit, 
they're now abiding in and trusting in God for everything. Everything. Trusting God for everything. We were singing that song, that Chris Tomlin song, uh, Without You I Fall Apart. I didn't think like that when I was in my 20s. I was like, I can do this. I don't need anyone's help. Now, I really would fall apart if I didn't have the Lord. Now, that's a good, healthy thing to learn. If you don't think you need the Lord, that's not healthy. That leads people to destruction. I don't, I don't really need God's help, you know. But we're trusting Him for everything. And if that's you, well, you can expect, according to this passage, you shall, you shall, you shall. I'll put it up on the screen here. Um, you can expect to come through trials and battles and setbacks and even abject failures like Peter had. And yet we will eventually flourish if we're planted. Never say it. Plants might grow slow, <laughs> but they're growing. <laughs> if God's in control, they are growing. I kill plants for a living in my house, but God does not. He does not kill his plants. They flourish. They become cedars. They become palm trees, date palms or coconuts. Both have fruit. Not all palm trees have fruit, but, but we have two kinds of fruit-bearing palms in the world. Some are coconuts. Some are dates. And so you have God... Uh, doesn't fail. He, he, he will cause, if you really are rooted in Christ, you're going to flourish. It's not, you shall. It's not, well, you might, do you see the word might up there? You might flourish, you might have this happen, you might get by, you might. No, you shall. We will grow, and all trees grow upward. We'll become more God-focused, less trees grow up towards the heavens, we start to look up towards the heavens. And when we do that, the more we grow upward, we become strong, not because we try to be strong. Trees don't strain to be strong. They don't say, I'm going to be strong. They just receive the water, rain, and soil, and they become strong. They don't strain it. Chuck, Pastor Chuck said that for years. You ne you'll never see a fruit tree. I'm going to burst out a grape if I have to die doing it. <laughs> Palm trees and cedars don't grow grapes, but I mean any kind of fruit bearing. But it's what the trees do. They, were, they do what they're designed to do, and God will do what He's designed us to do. It's the work of God. We shall, these things shall happen. And that verse, or these last few verses, are very much like another verse you guys might know from the book of Isaiah. We have a parallel passage that mirrors this, but those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount, not might, well, it's possible, no, they shall mount up with wings like you. They shall not run and be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Uh, the other passage, that, for those of you that are getting up in age, here in the verse 13 or 14, uh, verse 14, they shall still bear fruit in old age, be fresh and flourishing spiritually. The more you draw near to Jesus, the more you have to give. I think Charmy's the oldest person in this room, sorry, but, but you, I, think you, I think you give more incredible refreshing to people just your love with Jesus. Amen. It just does. I mean, I, I get more from you than I get from, sorry, some of you 16-year-olds, but uh, you know, I don't, <laughs> you've got some maturing to do, then I'll get something from you. But you know, there, there's some people, they don't have the effervescence, fragrance of Christ yet because they haven't walked long enough. You're actually trying to help them. So... I, a lot of this is in the spiritual realm, so we don't have time to get into it. We could have a long discussion about what all this means, but we don't have that kind of time. I've got to wrap it up. But first of all, as we come, a, come to a close here, God is, uh, God's worthy of our continual praise. Morning, evening, our, our salvation is worth more than the entire planet. That's what Jesus said. You couldn't give, you could have all the money in the world and you couldn't buy yourself. So our salvation is worth more than the entire planet. Uh, let's save the planet. Jesus said, let me save a soul. But second, if the Lord says that planting our lives in Him and to praise Him is where we're going to find rest, renewal, and strength, we might want to believe that. Amen? We really might want to believe that. We might want to anchor our life there. We might want to build our life on this. That's why I said I wish more people were here tonight. Not because I'm teaching it, but because I really believe that a lot of the church fundamentally doesn't know 
to put this in practice. And so they, they, they continue to tip God with their time, and they really don't realize that they want the vast majority of things that are wrong are because of that, not because God hasn't been faithful. We would be wise to believe God over all the false feelings we have, and you're going to have some tomorrow, over all the false feelings we have and over all the so-called experts in the United States or around the world. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again that uh, you are worthy of praise. And you remind us to praise you. You remind us to, to, to declare your loving kindness in the morning. You remind us to tell you that you're good. You remind us to not go back to the broad road to destruction. There's no life there. And Lord, uh, you remind us that if we uh, wait upon you, if we are grounded in you, if we root our lives and abide in you, uh, we will flourish. Even in old age, we uh, will run and not be weary. All of these promises, Lord, they're precious, they're powerful, uh, but Lord, they're true. And uh, Lord, we pray that uh, here it is, uh, March 2023. We would look back a year from now if we continue to grow in these things and say, I, I remember that night. Psalm 92, I've been practicing it and God has shown me miracle after miracle after miracle, chain breaking after chain breaking after chain breaking. Lord, I pray that we would see that and that souls would be saved as we draw near to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the night. See you Sunday or two by two or wherever we see you next.